good morning, Laurel Hill. On this nice, little bit wet morning. But we're going to start off singing as we usually do. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Oh. 
Jesus. Come on up. All right. Good morning, church. So good to see you today. So good to be with you. And in my mind's eye, I'm picturing you here sitting in our sanctuary. And uh, we certainly miss the fellowship of being personally together. But what a blessing it is to have this technology, as Pastor Hamp was just saying. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 20. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 20. And uh, let's ask the Lord's blessings as we go to the text here just in a second. Father, we thank you for the joy of knowing you. We thank you for the privilege of having you as our God. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. And Lord, we thank you for sustaining us in these days. Lord, in the midst of all of our uncertainty, uh, we thank you that you are in full control and that you are the one who is giving us life and the ability to have our needs met. And so we thank you for all these things. Now, Lord, we pray that you'd open our hearts this morning to the hearing of your word. That it would penetrate into us and that we would be changed from the inside out to be conformed into your image. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get started in our text, I just wanted to uh, say again a hearty thank you to all of you for remembering uh, to send in your love offerings. And uh, we just appreciate that so, so very much. You just have no idea how critical it is that you do that so that we can continue on with the ministry. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, there are many people that are sharing uh, their talents throughout the week and uh, serving from their hearts in various ways. And uh, so we thank you for all that you're doing physically, but uh, especially spiritually through your prayers and, and your giftednesses in those ways. Uh, thanks for watching by Facebook. We're blessed to be able to have this opportunity to do this and this great technology. Uh, for those of you that are joining us this week by YouTube, uh, we're blessed to have you with us as well. And uh, thank you for putting up with us as we've been trying to figure out some of the technical issues um, and we're continually working on that. So uh, let us know how things are looking. Send us an email if you will. Just let us know that you're out there. Uh, go to our website, visitlaurelhill.org, visitlaurelhill.org. Find lots of information out there. We're trying to keep that updated with new things. Uh, just added some uh, ministry options there on the homepage this week. And uh, that's all there for you to enjoy and to be able to have something to spend your time with biblically outside of your normal work uh, there with, um, in your own home. Okay, so you can check those things out. So we're so glad that you've joined us today. Um, and also give us your best contact information. We constantly need uh, the refreshment of what is best to get in touch with you. And uh, so just let us know uh, if something has changed by phone number or email. You know, we send out regular emails weekly and, and many going out right now. It's really the only way we have to keep in touch with you well. And so give us uh, your contact information uh, and make sure that we're up to date with all of that. Okay. All right, well, so we're moving along now in our weeks, and uh, here we are uh, continually serving the Lord and doing what we can. We're going to go back in our study in Matthew, as I told you, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, is where I want to pick up again for today, because uh, we've studied through this verse in our series in Matthew, but I want to go back and review a couple thoughts, uh, and really this is just going to be an introduction to what we're going to see in the remainder of chapter 5 from Jesus 
as he preaches this uh, sermon. Now, you remember just by way of quick review, uh, Jesus has miraculously come on the scene through a virgin birth. Uh, He has been foretold by the prophets, and there has been much to elevate him to who he truly is. And now, in, in Matthew's writing, we're at the place where Jesus is ready to give his first sermon, at least what Matthew records for us, and it's a very powerful powerful message. And so we've been looking through this, but I want to highlight something this morning, again, by way of introduction, really for the next couple messages as we finish out the chapter, and then we'll continue on in the rest of the sermon. So let's take a step back just for a minute and just acknowledge a couple things here. And that is, is that we are fully aware of how your hearts are feeling right now and what's really going on. Uh, Many of you are wondering how in the world, how long is this going to last? Uh, What am I to do with myself? Uh, When am I going to be able to get a haircut? Uh, All these kind of things. You know, people are just, we're finding more and more uh, emotional, a lot more frustrations that are appearing uh, in people's lives. You know, it's kind of that slow drag as as things just continually drag along and there's no real um, understanding of when things are going to open up again as when um, things really affect us the most. Uh, But interestingly, as I was thinking through some of these thoughts this week, um, as our emotions come out is when really the heart is most open, uh, when we really start experiencing and letting out what's really going on inside. Now, I would suspect that most of you are doing everything that you can to hold it all together, and you're doing a good job with that, especially if you're trusting the Lord by faith. Um, You're trying to be kind. You're trying to be helpful, uh, trying to think of ways that you can meet others' needs. And we must do all of those things. I want to continue to encourage each of you to reach out to your friends and your neighbors and and just ask God to give you ways that you can do that. Uh, Because again, I know that as things drag on, uh, we find that uh, people's emotional state starts to be affected more and more. You know, we can handle things for a little while, uh, but when things really uh, stretch out, it gets to be much, much more tough, much more difficult. So continue to reach out to people as, uh, as you feel the Lord leading you in that. Now, what we have to do, what we have to do in this time is make sure that our hearts are right, that we're really thinking about what's going on inside of us, that we examine ourselves and really look into the depths of who we are as people, uh, because God always examines our hearts. God is always looking into our hearts. He is always testing the motives of our hearts. And so as we look at Jesus's sermon here, we see that very thing is that Jesus has been challenging the people. That's really what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to open up to them the truth of God's word so that they begin to see what's really going on in their hearts. And his challenge is in order to be truly righteous, you have to be more righteous than the religious leaders of the day the Pharisees and the scribes. That was a huge challenge because these guys were the best. They would be similar. They would be uh, like the greatest of athletic stars today in their own chosen field. These guys were the greatest in the area of religious life. They were the people that the ones of the Hebrews looked up to. They were the model church citizens. They were the ones who had everything together, the red carpet celebrities. That's who these people were. The sad part, as we've been learning in Matthew's gospel, is that it was all external. Everything of their their hearts was being hidden. The Pharisees weren't operating out of a heart that was broken from sin. 
And the problem was they were proud and they didn't want others to know what was going on. They were more concerned about the external than they were what was really being shown from their internal heart. And that's really what pride does. Pride just causes us to close off and to not allow uh, the real internal part of us to be seen. And uh, it's a lot of it's motivated by fear and a lot of different things. Uh, but these people were proud of their abilities. They were proud of their accomplishments. And so they hid what was really going on in their hearts. In fact, they even hid it from themselves. So Jesus was saying to these people, hey, these guys aren't your model. Don't look to them as your model. If you really want to be religious, if you really want to be the people that God wants you to be, you've got to make sure that you're opening your heart and let your heart be exposed. It has to change, in other words. Your heart has to be what changes. And so throughout the, this whole time that we've been studying Matthew, what the Lord is really pointing to is your heart must change. There must be an inner change of the heart. In other words, to be a true citizen of heaven, sin has to be exposed. We have to see it. We have to be broken over it. And that person who is a true believer truly mourns over their lack of true righteousness and begs God for mercy. There is a daily devotion that I enjoy reading, and it's called The Valley of Vision. I've mentioned it to our church family before. Uh, it's a book of Puritan prayers from many, many years ago. It's a conglomeration or gathering of those prayers and, and petitions to the Lord. And I was reading one just the other day, and, and just a line in it just really spoke to my heart. And it said this of those that are truly broken. Here's how the heart really thinks. Is that the more my heart is broken for sin, the more I pray, it may be far more broken. Let me read that again. The more my heart is broken for sin, the more I pray, it may be far more broken. That's a strange kind of statement, but the reality is, is that God's true people are ones who see the brokenness of their heart because of sin, the brokenness of their lives because of sin, and they long for God to break them even more, to make them even more pure and more righteous. And so the true citizens of heaven are those who hunger for righteousness, those who are like a starving man who just cannot get enough of God's blessings and, and the righteousness that he can only bestow on all of us, on the person and who they are. And all that's true because his heart is changed. In other words, the person who really sees themselves the way that God sees them as a broken person before him has a heart that's truly changed. And we have numerous examples of that in the scripture. In fact, King David was one of the best. And I want to just list for us several of them here. David understood that God looks at the heart and made sure that his son Solomon knew that. Let me just read this for us in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. As David is speaking to his son, he says, You, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Now think about what David is writing to his son. He's saying, son, listen, open your heart. Let God into your heart. He sees what's going on there. So serve him, not just from the external part of your life, but from the depths of who you really are and from the, a mind that is willing to take everything that belongs to God and everything that you want to belong to God and give it of the, give to him. And David was a man who was speaking out of experience. As you know the story of David's life, he was a man of many failures. 
But the one thing he knew was that God understood and knew his heart better than anything. He wanted a pure heart. You remember when Nathan the prophet confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba? He changed because his heart was exposed. But it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came and said to him, You are the man, David. It is you who is guilty of this sin that David's heart was truly exposed. And God knows that that's what's necessary. And so David learned a very hard lesson. God knows what's in the depths of every person's heart. He knows what's going on in our minds and our hearts right now. Listen, we are under a very difficult set of circumstances with this virus. And as I've already mentioned numerous times, as it drags on, it becomes much more challenging for us to stay focused on the things that are truly important. But what we must do, beloved, is we must make sure that our hearts are continually pure before the Lord. We must remain righteous in all of this. We cannot be distracted by the things that we see in the news and become overwhelmed by what we hear and don't hear, uh, who says this and who doesn't say that. Uh, God will make things clear as time is unfolded in front of us. What we must do is make sure that all of our actions and our reactions are pure before the Lord because He is the one who sees our hearts. In fact, David would express that truth that I was mentioning in 1 Chronicles to his son and then Solomon later as a grown man praying over the dedication of the temple as this beautiful edifice now was built. And the people were looking at this in his prayer in 1 Kings 8. He says of the Lord, For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to our fathers. Solomon understood. Solomon had gotten to the place in his life where he realized that what was really important was the depth of his heart, that God would see what's really there. And he's acknowledging that to the people in front of God and and the crowd that had gathered there. When Hananiah came to Asa, who was the king of Judah at the time, uh, Asa had failed to listen to the Lord and his commandment. And in 2 Chronicles 16.9, The prophet says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Whose heart is completely his. The writer of Proverbs says, Proverbs 16, 2, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Listen to this. But the Lord weighs the motives. In other words, you and I can think we're doing well, but it's really the Lord who examines our hearts. When Jeremiah was the prophet in Israel, he spoke for God in Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Finally, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the letter to Thyatira, the Lord gives to John. And he says to him, write to the church, I am he who searches the mind's and the hearts. Beloved, if there's any message at all that we need to see first before we move on into the rest of the sermon that Jesus is going to give to us is that without using the words that I'm using, Jesus was saying to the people, listen, here are the people that you don't want to be like. These are the religious leaders of your day, but these are the ones whose hearts are far from me. I want your heart. I want your heart. That's what the Lord is saying to these people through this sermon. And he's giving them and us this illustration of what the heart of the true believer looks like. And speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't keep the demands of the law because it was too hard for them. 
I mean, when God set up the law, he set up a system of challenges so that the people would understand, that you and I would understand, and the people of his day, uh, of Jesus' day, would understand that this is the demand of the Lord, to be pure and holy and righteous. The bar must be here. It must be lifted up. But the Pharisees understood that there was no way that they could live that way, and so they lowered the standard. And by doing that, they could keep whatever they wanted to keep and ignore the rest. And I would just say to us this morning that that's what we do in a lot of ways, is that often if we don't like the standard that God has set for righteousness, we just ignore it or we change the standard. For example, God says, love everyone, even your enemies. Well, that's a standard that we don't like. It's a challenging standard. And so what people will often do is we'll pick and choose whom we will love. And we'll categorize people and say, well, I'm not going to love those people or I'm not going to love those people because they're just too hard to love. And maybe they've done something to me. And you may be experiencing something like that right now in your relationships in this confinement. You might feeling, be feeling the stresses of being confined with people that have their own ideologies about things and the way they think about things. You may have friends that are on social media that are constantly saying things about decisions that are being made in our, in our government, whatever the situation might be, it's hard to love people that are in disagreement with us and the way we feel about things. But the Lord's standard is, is that we are to love everyone and not pick and choose who we will love and who we won't love. Just as an example, if people complain about something or they just don't like someone instead of doing what God says and working peace between the two, and I won't go through all of the scriptures for that. We just complain about them and have our own little pity parties or just come up with all kinds of scenarios as to why we shouldn't be around them. Sometimes people will do that with their boss, and they'll just say, well, I just don't like that guy, but because I'm paid here, I'll kind of do what I need to do in order to kind of fly below the radar uh, just to make sure that I keep my job. And they figure as long as I do that, <clears throat> And, make, and, and look good on the outward side of, of life and doing what's kind of basically good there, but neglect what's really important, um, I'll be okay. It's all right. But that's all a reflection on the heart. And that's really what the Lord is after here. And so God's, God's not asking our opinion about what we like and what we don't like. He's saying to us, look, my standard of righteousness is way up here. And I'm expecting you as my people to live according to my righteous standard, even though we understand that we're not able to do that. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. <clears throat> now, to make his point much clearer, and specifically about the motives of the heart, Jesus in this sermon now, we're not going to look at these today. I just want to touch on them. He's going to give six examples that are going to cover several areas of life. And these are going to be the core areas of life. Let me just give you a couple thoughts with this. He starts with murder and adultery, some of the biggest, heaviest items that there are, two subjects that are really critical for our lives, both individually and socially. You think with me for just a minute, it is murder, that atrocity against another human life that attacks an individual, the life of another individual. Well, adultery also does the same kind of thing. It attacks an individual if not anyone but the innocent party. But this is more geared to the societal subject. This affects the society because what God ordained as an institution in a society such as marriage, when that's destroyed by the, uh, the coming together of people who are not married in that adulterous situation, then society begins to be affected. The children are affected. 
And it just has a huge ripple effect. And so Jesus starts with those. We're going to look at those much more fully in the, in the weeks to come. Uh, the next two subjects are divorce and honesty. And then mercy and love, basically, are the next two, uh, making all six. But all six subjects are going to be directly related and specifically targeting the religious community. And so we need to be listening to what the Lord is going to be telling us through this. And you may be saying, well, you know, I'm not living back then. I, don't, I wasn't a part of all of that. So how does this fit me? Well, we're going to talk about how it fits us. And I'll give you a couple thoughts about that this morning. According to God, a righteous community is one that is filled with a righteous heart. And look at, think about that. A righteous community is one that is filled with a righteous heart. In other words, areas that are critical to society are areas that are often the places that God is looking to for that which will be the most holy. God wants his society of his people to be holy. In fact, in Jesus' sermon, what we're going to see is how each of these subjects are going to affect, uh, affect us, proving to us that we need God to change our hearts. We need His forgiveness. We need His righteousness. In our hearts, I'm talking about, we need to see the kingdom of God. And every subject is going to come back to the heart. We cannot live in this life without the subject of the heart being open. Meaning, even our thoughts, as you heard in the opening text, as Jesus talked about the righteous people and who they really are, it's critical that our thoughts be as righteous as well. Because even though our external deeds might be good, and they might be right kind of things, if our heart's not right, then our deeds really mean nothing. And that's what Jesus was so upset about with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 25 through 26, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Verse 27, For woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and are all unclean. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Very, very stern words for the religious leaders of the day. And again, you're saying, how does this affect me? What does this really mean for my life? And how does this really uh, associate with where, I'm, where I am and what I'm facing now with this, uh, this virus? Well, listen, when God looks at you and me, he looks at our hearts. He looks at our hearts, and that's what he judges. Now listen, you may never have murdered anyone. Again, we're going, to just, we're going to study all of this, but even yet have a heart full of hatred. That's a very real reality. That's a very real possibility. You may be saying, I've never done anything to harm another soul physically, but you're looking just at the external, where internally your heart may be brooding and boiling over with anger towards that person or towards some others. You may be experiencing that again right now, and I understand all our dynamics are different. Some of you are living in homes by yourself, and so you're feeling loneliness and isolation, uh, but there may be that sense of anger that's building there, 
And I don't want to jump into this too much, but just just to suffice it to say that no matter what situation you're in with loneliness or in a large context of people, uh, there is the reality of the emotion of, of hatred towards even certain people. Like you may be experiencing a sense of hatred towards leaders right now. You may be really, really struggling with decisions that some of the people are making in our government right now. And so you would be one that would say, I've never murdered anybody, but the Lord is going to say to our hearts, listen, in your heart, it's as if you're committing murder because of your anger. It's challenging, challenging. We'll get to, get to all of that. You may never have committed adultery externally. You say, I never would do something like that. But maybe you've spent your entire life lusting after people internally. Maybe you've been addicted to pornography or, or some illicit uh, thing that you shouldn't be watching or reading, some dishonoring movie or, or television or whatever it might be. You know, it's just really challenging today to find anything on the, on the television that uh, is wholesome at all, or books or magazines. You know, it's just amazing to me uh, what people are a part of today and what they read and, and all professing to be believers. Or you may have never been to court and ever perjured yourself. You say, well, that's where the lying comes into play. Well, no, that's not true, uh, because if you've never kept your word that you promised to somebody, even of those that are the closest to you, or said things that you never intended to keep, you see, that makes us guilty. You may claim to be serving God in your business. Say, oh yeah, this is my business that the Lord has given to me, and you've worked hard all your life, but not necessarily honest in your dealings with people and your clients. When it comes down to the bottom line, you make sure that you're the one who's always getting the better end of the deal. And so we'll talk about these things as the Lord lays them out for us more specifically for the people in His day and relate them to how they affect us in our day. My, I'm simply just saying to us, beloved, the point is God knows our hearts. As we are going through this experience of this crisis right now, He is looking at our hearts and He sees more clearly than we do what's going on in there. So don't fool yourselves by thinking that you can hide your inner motives and your inner intentions and think that they're not important. And very much on the contrary, God is more concerned about your inner motives than He is your actions. I can assure you of that. And again, this is what's being pointed out here through our Lord. Because he knows, the reason he's concerned about our actions and our, our motives rather is because he knows that when our motives are pure, our actions will become pure from what those motives really are. Let me give you some things to think about that <clears throat> failed to bring it in here with me, but um, I wanted to bring to you and show you just a mirror. So imagine yourself standing in front of a mirror for, for just a moment. Uh, my wife has this really kind of cool and gross mirror at the same time. You understand what I mean when I say this. Uh, but it hangs on the wall on the one side. It's just kind of like a regular mirror, and you can go up, and it's round. It's got a nice little light on it. And you can look at yourself, and you can see some features there. But if you flip that thing over, it's kind of got a concave to it. And, boy, you can start to see all kinds of imperfections and blemishes on your skin when you're looking at that. And so as I thought about that, I wanted us to understand this morning that God's Bible... His word, the law of God, is a mirror. And if you think about the word of the Lord as a mirror, it will begin to reveal to us what's really, being, what's really going on in our hearts. And so you imagine yourself standing there 
as you would at your bathroom counter or your bathroom sink or wherever you might have a mirror and you're looking at yourself, what God wants us to understand is that as you read my word, my word is designed to be a mirror of your soul and it's going to show you what's really in there. It'll show what's there and it'll show what I really want to reflect in your life. And so keep that thought in mind. So as we think about this, let me give you a couple thoughts here as we um, move along here. First, just reading the Bible, though, just understanding that concept of the Bible as a mirror is not as as important as the motive behind reading the Bible. Now, this is going to sound somewhat elementary for those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but it's really very critical that we remember all of this. In other words, you can read your Bible every day, and you can say, I believe this is the mirror of God into my soul, and never get really anything out of it because your heart is not engaged in your reading. I don't know how many times I've been guilty of this myself as I've sat down to read a devotion or read some text of Scripture and, and just feel like as I got to the end of it, my mind was off on something else and, uh, and, and I missed the context. I missed exactly what the Lord was talking about. And all of that comes down to the wrong motive of the heart. It really is the wrong motive of the heart because if your heart is not right towards God, everything that you read in the Bible is going to mean nothing. It's just going to be words on a page. In fact, you can be watching this service right now and think that that somehow makes you more righteous because you've taken time out to do something that's holy. And that's good. It has its place. It has its meaning. But if you don't really want to be watching the service, it really doesn't mean anything. In other words, just to be saying to God, well, it's Sunday and this is the normal thing to do and and I should be watching Pastor Bruce or I should be watching Charles Stanley or John MacArthur or whoever might it be that you watch. Uh, If your heart is not really saying, boy, I love God so much and I understand what he's done for me. I love his people. I have to watch. If that's not the motivation and that's not the thinking, then really it's just a fake. It's just really not meaningful to the Lord because God knows our hearts. I think just to drive this point home a little bit more, you probably already understand this, but let me give you an external kind of a thing. Um, In my mind, this comes up a lot. You can drive down the road obeying the speed limit and fighting internally the whole time, saying this is ridiculous, and you just do it because you just don't want to get caught. You don't want to pay the fine. You don't want to pay the bill. Instead of thinking... The right motive of the heart would be, no, I'm going to drive the speed limit, not just because I agree with it or don't agree with it, but because God has established authority, Romans 13, 1 Peter, and also in 1 Timothy. God has established the authorities of our land as being ordained from Him. And so the right heart would simply say, I'm going to obey the laws of the land simply because it's the right thing to do in the mind and the heart of God. There's a big difference there. In fact, I guess we could say this. Let me just say to the parents. I think one of the things that parents miss in training their children is that they miss the training of the heart. They often will teach children to obey the external rules and regulations. And those are all right and good and well, but often parents forget to train the heart. That the real issue of obedience is a matter of the heart. So that when the child hears, hey, do this or don't do this, that at the same time you're speaking truth into their heart so that they're understanding that we don't want you to just obey mom and daddy or whomever they're living with. We want you to obey because it's right in the heart. 
And it's right in the heart because that's what God wants. He doesn't want children to grow up with just some mechanical, legalistic, routine, heartless set of rules and regulations and have no real heart to obey those rules and regulations. If you're using this time in the social distancing as a vacation from God, there's a real problem in the heart. One of my biggest concerns as a pastor, honestly, is that we will become so used to this growing normal that the church doors will become less thought about. The church family will become less thought about. There will be so thankful that we don't have to get up early on a Sunday morning. For those of you that work hard during the week and are looking to get back to your jobs and you've been promised that your job will come back, you know, you're going you, it's easy to get caught up in the energy of, of making sure that the job is done and forgetting that my real priority is to make sure that my heart is right and that I join back with God's people when that happens. In other words, we'll get to the place where normal will become so abnormal spiritually. And I'm really praying against that that God will bring us back into a greater hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But that's all a matter of the heart. Here's the second principle, just concerning the Bible. The Bible's purpose, as many people often miss, is not to constrain us. That's really not God's purpose, but to push us towards righteousness. That's what God really wants. He uses His Word to grow us into being the people that He wants us to be. He really has no plans of just frustrating us. I've often talked to many people who think like that. If you go back to the mirror just for a minute, I was talking about the mirror doesn't do anything but just show you what's there. I mean, the mirror is just a mirror. It's just a thing. It has no ability to frustrate you or to encourage you, either one. It's just a reflecting tool. I mean, all of that feeling and all that emotion really is on you. How you receive what you're seeing is really on you. The purpose is to just simply reflect reality. And the truth is, the purpose of the Bible is to show us God, to reflect God to us. When we open the pages of His Word, we see God, we hear God, we find out who God is. It's a a storybook, it's a reflection as a mirror of God and showing us His holiness and His righteousness. It's showing us His mercy and His grace. Praise His name for that. The Bible shows us the heart of man and how we're to live holy, how we're to live purely before God. And Again, as you just listen to what's going on in our world today as social media after social media attempt and whatever people are using today will throw their thoughts out there as to what they really think and feel and believe. Well, if they would just hold up the Bible as the reflecting mirror of God and begin to see their own hearts and understand the motives of their heart and understand the motive of their thinking and why they're saying what they're saying, But before that, and if they don't do that, then it's all just coming from a heart that's full of wickedness and sin, which is what we all have. And so like the mirror, again, the Bible is to just, the mirror just shows us what happens to our bodies. And sometimes we don't like what we're seeing. So that, though, we'll make some changes. We step in front of the mirror and we say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the reflection. And so we'll say, I need some makeup. And so we'll go to the store and we'll buy makeup and we'll put that on and we'll make ourselves feel better. Or I don't like the way I look. I'm getting a little bit pudgy. And so we'll go on a diet and we'll start exercising. Well, the Bible's purpose again is to show us what true righteousness is so that we will say, God, I need that. 
I need you. I need to implement these things. I need to make some changes. Israel biblically gives us one of the best examples of all of this. As Moses said to them while they were in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 28, If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Listen to that. If you just listen, examine your hearts, I'll set you above all the nations of the earth, and those blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God, if you obey the Lord your God. But if they would not obey, in Deuteronomy 28, if you do not obey the Lord your God to serve, to, do, to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Listen, it's a cause and effect. The Lord is saying, if you just listen to me from the depths of your heart, the effect of all of that will produce a beautiful, beautiful picture in your life. And the blessings will be overwhelming. And God's blessings are predicated in the heart. In other words, they begin there. Did Israel really want to be righteous? Well, then God says, Look at your heart. Follow me from your heart. Did they really want to serve God? Follow me from your heart. Deuteronomy 28 again. All these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping His commandments. Verse 46. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart and a glad heart. That's what the Lord is saying to Israel. That's what he's saying to us. Listen, everything that we do is to be from a heart of joy and gladness. Beloved, we don't need to get lost in this crisis. And I'm very sensitive to the expressions of emotion that people are feeling through all of this. It's so easy to get lost in, in, in thinking that it's never going to end and, and, and where's God and and what's happening? Listen, God is right where He's always been. God has not moved. We've already discussed that in previous sermons. Uh, what, we want to know, what we need to do is to make sure that we're in these days examining our hearts. What's the motive of our heart? What is God wanting to do in me? What's He wanting to do in me and us as a church through all of this? I believe with all my heart that one of the things that God is doing in the church right now in these days, and remember, you are the church, the building is not the church. And what he's doing is he's causing us to examine our hearts by allowing us to feel the emotions of frustration and anger and bitterness and, 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 and the, just the sheer boredom of it all. And when is this all going to end? And are we going to get back to some kind of normal? I think what God is saying to us is I want you to look inside your heart and examine what's really there. Because all of what you're going to find, if it's not purely dedicated to me and faith and trust in me, is all going to be a waste. And that's what he will judge. Now, which really leads us to the final principle. The Bible really leads us to, his perfect, to be his perfect representatives. That's what God wants from us, to be his people. So the problem is we understand that we can't be those perfect representatives. As much as the Pharisees couldn't do it or anybody before us, we realize that we cannot be the people that God has set the bar so high for us to be. We can't be that person. And so what we do is we make things up to make ourselves feel better. When we can't measure up to the bar, we lower it, as I was saying earlier. 
And by doing all of that, we change the God of the Bible into the God of our own making. We make him the God that we want him to be, the one who fits our ability so that we feel better about ourselves, the God who fits what we can do and what we can perform. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is what we've been talking about, the one who demands righteousness from the heart because the heart is the problem. The heart is always the problem. But the glorious thing is, is that he knows we can't do this. And that's why Jesus came. The whole reason that Jesus came was to show the believers of that day and to show us where the bar of righteousness is demanded to be by God the Father and that you cannot keep it. And that's why he came. If I were speaking for Jesus, I would say it personally like this. I came so that you might receive my righteousness and live according to my standard as I replace you in the presence of God and I become the intermediary between you and the Father. You are the one that is going to trust me and I will bring your cares and your needs. I will pay the penalty of all of your sin so that the Father is pleased. And so Jesus enters into the scene here and he's the one teaching this sermon and he's saying to them and he's saying to us today, whatever you're experiencing now in the crisis of your life, understand that your righteousness alone is not good enough. I have to be the substitute for everything. And so you come to him. Right now in your moments of emotional distress and wondering through all these things we've been talking about that's going on in your lives right now, the best thing that you can do is just simply say, God, come into my life and open my heart so that I can see what's going on there, so that I can know how to best react in every situation that I'm finding myself in. Whether it's the delay of work or whether I'm concerned about finances or whether I'll get back to my job or my children will be okay, is there ever going to be school again? And all these things are still wandering around in the minds of people. The Lord Jesus is the one who will satisfy our deepest needs as we surrender our lives to him. Now, as I close uh, this message, I want to just share with you uh, really uh, just a, a few tools here that I think are important. I'm kind of a tool guy, and uh, I've learned over the years that tools are important for the task. And so uh, let me just give you a couple spiritual tools here that I think are important to have an open mind. You've got to start with an open mind or excuse me, with, to have an open heart, you've got to start with an open mind. So let's call it the open mind tool, the tool of the open mind. You have to open your mind to the possibility that your heart needs some adjusting. You have to be willing to say that I'm not exactly the kind of person that I think I am. Maybe internally there are some adjustments that need to be made. You know, the mind is an amazing tool. It has great ability. It can do all kinds of things. It can think, it can create, it can plan, it can move about, it moves these bodies. It can slow us down, it can motivate us, it can cause us to be fearful, it can cause us to be joyful, and on and on it goes. The, the first thing that has to happen in the heart of any person is that they have to be willing to open their mind to what God is saying to them. And so the first step in changing and I'm not talking about changing what God has said. I'm talking about changing internally is to be open to what the Lord has said in his word. Looking at that mirror and that reflection and being able to say, God, you show me what's really going on in my mind. And the second tool in the bag would be the tool of self-examination. I got to be able to use the examination technique that God is using. And as I thought about this, I thought about how a doctor will take a stethoscope. And they will kind of look around on the body and listen 
as you breathe in and out. And what they're doing is they're trying to do the first steps in examination to see what the problem may be. Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves. You start there. You got to test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. In other words, examine yourselves. Look inwardly. Look at your heart and say, in this moment of crisis in my life, am I really looking to God to get me through all of this? Am I really examining my heart? Paul says, do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Listen, if you're here without Christ, if you're watching today without Christ, this is going to be a far different subject because the place you have to start is what I was saying a second ago. You got to start with accepting who Jesus is and begin to say in your heart, Lord, I need to know Jesus. I want Jesus in me. Okay, you got to start there. But if you're a believer, then the first tool of examination is going to be open your mind and then examine yourself and say, the second part is examine yourself and say, am I really following the faith that I say that I believe in? It's always amazing to me, always. And I know we're weak in our flesh and we can be tempted so easily, but it's always amazing to me how many people who are professing to be believers get lost in the worldliness of what's happening and get lost in the emotional baggage and the strain and the stress of everything that the world is wanting to promote through all of this. When God's people should be the ones who are most at peace, we should be the ones who from the depths of our hearts are being able to say, I know God is in control. And when I do feel any inkling of stress or anxiety over it all, I just immediately go to the Lord and I surrender my heart to Him again. And I say, Lord, you take this and you change my heart so that I'm conformed to you and I listen to you by faith, knowing that I'm going to be okay instead of trying to figure it all out on my own. The third tool is the tool of willingness. I got to be willing. You know, it's one thing to have an open mind. It's another thing to examine the heart, but I really got to be willing. I got to be willing to listen to what God is saying to me internally. Exodus 35, 21, Moses is writing this to the people. Everyone whose heart stirred, and that means lifted up, him and every, everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all that its service and for all of the, the holy garments. In other words, when God put out a plea to Moses, to the people and said, listen, I want to build a tabernacle that I may come and be in, in the presence of the people. I want you to go to the people. I want you to say to them, gather this and gather that and bring it so that the builders may build the tabernacle. What Moses is telling us here is that everybody's heart was so moved by the work of the Lord that they were willing to do what God had said to them. So willingness becomes a huge part of what God wants out of us. Without a willingness on our part, our heart is never going to change. It's never going to change. If you're a person who's out there saying, oh, that's a bunch of bunk, I'm not going to listen to anything going on, well, you've already gotten strikes against you because you're not willing to listen to what the Lord is saying. It's the people who listen to God, who look at their hearts and do what they need to do to change. Those are the people that belong to God. Those are the people that God uses now, the others may get some benefit. There may be some sort of change of life. There may be some exciting thing that happens, but God never really uses them because their heart is never really and fully changed. Just a couple more and we'll be done. There's the tool of caring for others. 
the tool of caring for others. Just the other day, I was out using my wheelbarrow, and I thought about some of this. You know, the wheelbarrow is designed to carry loads, to carry burdens that are too heavy to carry with our arms or on our backs or whatever they might be. Well, I think the tool of caring for others is critical in the life of a person who's truly been changed in the heart. For those of us that are understanding what I'm talking about this morning is that we are to be the ones who are be out there in our communities carrying the burdens of others. We should be going to our neighbors. We should at least be saying to them, are things okay? Uh, how are you doing? Uh, we should be the examples of what it means to carry the burdens of others. In Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. You know, so easily our hearts get inwardly focused and we're, we're so concerned about the distance that we're to have with each other. And I'm talking physically and that's all right and good because that's what we've been told to do by our law enforcement. Um, but the willingness of our heart should be, how can I help you? What can I do to ease your burdens? John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. There is a sense in which when our minds are caring for others, our hearts are caring for others, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. And then finally, is just the tool of love. In our bag of tools here, the tool of love, it requires a lot of work to love people. A lot of work. I mean, you can care for people and not really love them. And that's really possible. You can do all of the right motions for the people that are in your household or those that are around you, but not really be truly loving them. I mean, right now you may be caring for somebody physically, but really be begrudging the whole thing. You may be buying groceries and spending money on people and using a lot of your financial resources to make sure that other people are okay, but not really loving them out of your heart. You're just doing your duty. Well, the Lord says the greatest tool really that we can have from a changed heart is love because a righteous heart loves no matter what. It doesn't set conditions on people and set boundaries around people. In fact, I'll close with 1 Corinthians 13, just verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, in other words, if I have the gift of oratory skills, I have all those abilities to speak in incredible ways, but I don't have love, then my words are just like the sound of a gong that's clanging. If I have the gift of prophecy, in other words, to know everything that's going to happen in the world, if I could stand here this morning and say to you, hey, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is going to happen, but if I don't do it out of an expression of love from the heart in ministry towards you, then I'm really nothing. Paul says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I have the ability to say, mountain be moved over here, but I don't have love from my heart, then I really have nothing. I give all my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned even, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. I'm often amazed at how even the world, those who really have no care for Christ at all, have a sense of care for others. But you know, the reality is that sense of care comes back to a selfish heart. There's often a motivation of selfishness there. And what the Lord is saying to us is that even, even if I spend the millions of dollars to care for the poor, but I really don't have love, then I really have done nothing. So, summarizing, what Jesus is doing in this message 
and I believe for us even in this day, is he is going to now go through a series of subjects that are going to point to us a reflection of our hearts. And we need to examine ourselves as we go through them so that we truly are the people that God would have us to be. And so for this week, as you're going through what you're going through and you're experiencing the things that you're going through and what you're feeling and all of that, um, just make sure that you're examining your hearts. Make sure that your priority is to look inside and what the motive of your heart is in all of this. And God will begin to sort and organize and arrange your emotions and arrange your thinking and your feeling through all of this in a way that will be pleasing to Him and it be edifying and beneficial to you and everybody around you. Amen? All right. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's always a blessing to be able to have this privilege uh, to come to you through this uh, virtual means. And um, we pray that you have a good week. Be in touch with us. Uh, join us for our classes here. Go to our website and you can see everything that's going on and let us know how we can serve you best. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a God who really wants for us to have a heart of righteousness, a heart that is exposed openly, not just to you because you already see everything, but a heart that's exposed to us, that we may love one another with a purity that only you can give from a heart that's truly open. So, Lord, help us in these challenging days. Give us patience with one another. Give us patience with ourselves. Give us patience with our employers, with our government. Lord, give us patience to get through all of this. Lord, give us a caring and an open heart that we might be the examples of Christ to the world. Lord, may we be the reflections of your glory to a world that so desperately needs help. Lord, may we not walk in fear, may we not walk in anxiety, but Lord, may we live this day and every day in your presence, in peace and joy, knowing that you are the God of all things and in control of all things. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord's blessings to you all. We're so glad you joined us. Have a good week.